Hey, hometown Hollywooders. I'll never say that again. It has been a little while. I don't want to draw this out, but I haven't been posting episodes as regularly because, well, 2020 happened all at once. My home was hit by not one, but two hurricanes, and because of that, we were displaced from our home for about a month. I quit my job. I started doing freelance work. Uh, We had to evacuate our home again because of some plumbing issues, so it's been kind of rough. Luckily, we are safe, happy, and I'm finally in a place where I can start doing these again. I've got several awesome guests lined up, so stay tuned because I know you're going to want to hear their stories. I won't delay this any more than I already have, so let's get right into the show. Hang on, let me uh, me fix my mic. Alrighty, coming in three, two. Welcome to the Hometown Hollywood Podcast, where you've got such a douchebag sounding thing. Sorry. (laughs) Sounds like a... (laughs) Welcome to... Okay. Welcome to the Hometown Hollywood Podcast, where you can find advice, inspiration, and strategies for success from talented people that are making a name for themselves inside the film industry, but outside of the major film cities. Here's your host, Travis Myers. Perfect. Today's guest is Logan LeBlanc, or LeBlanc, a director and director of photography from Lafayette, Louisiana. One thing I noticed about Logan is that he may be super laid back and talk about his work like it's no big deal, but once I began to get deeper into the conversation, I began to realize what a freak of nature he is on a talent level. To be able to pull off the level of work that he does when he's both directing and DPing the same project has to be absolutely exhausting and is something not a lot of people can do. In this interview, you'll learn about how selling your prized guitar can start a film career, a lot of peanut butter references, adapting your style to fit the direction of the project, diamond-studded pressure-cooked chicken, networking for introverts, and about the inspiration behind his new short film, 17 Year Locust, which is funded by Create Louisiana's French Culture Film Grant. Real talk, this is the interview that was the straw that broke the camel's back for my own film career and what helped me finally make the jump I needed to to pursue the film dream. If you need a good laugh and inspiration on making that jump, this is the interview for you. Thanks again for listening, and let's get right into the show. So, I learned about you from our mutual friend, John Paul Summers, in his interview, the first interview I did for the podcast. He said about you, and I quote, I met him at community college. He's my oldest film friend, and he's a cinematographer and a director, and he's super, super talented um, and a beautiful human being and hilarious. What are your thoughts on that? <laughs> I, I honestly am sad that he didn't give me more compliments. Um, I thought, <laughs> no, that's... No, I appreciate it. I always like when he says that, though, like he's my oldest film friend because I'm like, is he saying that because I'm like, you know, 37 (laughs) or like in a grandpa way? No, but uh, that's pretty accurate. Yeah, like uh, we met, yeah, a little community college back when it was like, you know, mini DV tapes and like filming on 35 millimeter adapters. You you youngins don't know about the 35 millimeter adapters, man. That was some some uh, witchcraft that you had to put on the front of your camera to get like, you know, a dope looking image. But um, no, I appreciate him uh, him saying all that. He And I agree and would say, you know, the same things about him. We have a very um, similar outlook on, I guess, life and how we want to live our lives and, you know, how he is with his kids and, you know, how I am with mine and all that good stuff. So, yeah, 
Love that guy. So, um, you said you met at community college through, um, I guess, were you going for film or where did your film journey begin? Did it begin before that or how early did you know that this is what you wanted to do? Ah, uh, well, oddly enough, like, so growing up, I was like into comedy and like Saturday Night Live and stuff like that and sketches. And I was like, man, I really want, you know, I like that. That's super fun. Then I was like, you know, I need to get something that's a little more realistic and probably even before the comedy stuff, I guess. Um, I was, you know, playing with G.I. Joe's and making little stop motion videos kind of like everyone does and doing all the camera you know the in-camera editing with all of that stuff um and you know i was but as far as actually you know making movies and really making anything i was like i had no clue what the road would even look like and so it it this is how like of a big of a disconnect it was you know for the small town like lafayette it made more sense to me to move to Los Angeles to pursue, like, basically sketch comedy, right? Versus, like, finding a job in the film industry where there's, like, sets with, you know, hundreds of people and hundreds of different jobs. I was like, no, no, no. To my, you know, 21-year-old brain, I was like, this makes sense. So, um, <laughs> it worked for, like, a year and saved up a bunch of money uh, and just kind of moved out there. And, oh, you did. You know, I was trying to kind of, yeah, trying to see just what it, you know, what was what was even happening, and uh, you know, kind of auditioned and got into a few like little improv uh, classes and was doing all of that stuff. And I got a job at the same time at like 20th Century Fox in like the mailroom, like in the package department. I would basically drive around like canisters of film or tape. Oh my gosh. just to different people and so I mean like on lunch breaks I could watch like it was Arrested Development and like CSI and House all of that was that was you know when all of those shows were going on so you could kind of sit there and see how this you know it was a hamburger being made it was this massive hamburger being made or sausage whatever the, the phrase is <laughs> how the sausage was made you know you get to see that and then you get to see I'd in the editing bays, you get to see what they're doing with all of this stuff because you're delivering stuff all around. Um, so, you know, I kind of started ticking back towards film and I was like, you know what, I'm going to sell. I had some music gear at like uh, a Les Paul that, you know, I worked my whole life, you know, to be able to get that one instrument. And you're like, I'm never going to sell this. And <laughs> like the moment where I saw like a 24P camera, it was the DVX 100 came out. I sold the guitar like within a week <laughs> and bought a DVX 100 and I was like well I guess that's that I'm not gonna be a slash so yeah and that's kind of I bought that just to kind of really do record our sketches or kind of whatever you know we wanted really just to experiment because I had no I've never touched anything you know beyond like a little Sony Handycam um, and that kind of really you know, you, you could start seeing how this stuff was, I guess how the look was established right? and how the editing worked and all of that. Um, yeah. And then you kind of, you know, shoot a few music videos for free or even some that you self fund for friends, you know, little short films for family or whatever. 
And uh, before you know it, you have a really embarrassing reel that you're going to show to people. <laughs> and uh, I had a friend that, you know, worked at an ad agency. And uh, I don't, I'm trying to think of where I was working at the time. It was not in film. I was working for like a medical supply company uh, in Lafayette. And I was, uh, you know, I was ready to just kind of bounce out. And I was like, look, do you have any openings at this agency and he was like actually we're looking for someone with your particular set of skills he didn't say it like that but in my <laughs> head that sounds better yeah we're looking exactly for mailroom yeah <laughs> like someone with, someone who has zero experience in actually producing <laughs> no you know well they knew I think they could see based on like my early the stuff sure. I did that I yeah. probably would never show to anyone now they were like oh like at least he like gets what it should look like and they could see what I was going for put it that way yeah um and so you know you kind of uh, got that job and it was just basically a hybrid agency where they you know they'd write they'd basically go from soup to nuts with in terms of the creative they would script everything and had in-house production um yeah stayed there for a while and you know, did some cool stuff, did some stuff that, like I said, I'll probably never show anyone. Uh, <laughs> but I think that's kind of every job. Sometimes you just gotta, just gotta make a paycheck. But, um, you know, now I don't know. I'm in a place where it's like, you know, that you can do your best on a job and it's like, that's kind of, that's all you can hope for. And, you know, all you can wish for actually. And just to be able to get a paycheck is amazing. I mean, getting to play with cameras, right? Exactly. Like if I had met, you know, 20 year old me and you'd be like, Hey dude, you're going to be like, uh, you know, hanging out with your friends and kind of just, you know, shooting cool stuff occasionally. I'd be like, Oh, that sounds awesome. I don't really know what to do, but sure. Future self. Thanks. So I was looking at your website recently and I saw a lot of credits as far as directing and DPing on your Instagram it has Logan LeBlanc. DP is that what your focus is is to be a DP after your experience with uh, I don't know a number of commercials that are all very good which we will get into hey. <laughs> shortly um I don't know man it's like uh, there's some projects where uh, for the most part like you know some commercial stuff it's not like you're you're trying to tap into this uh, emotional gold. You know, sometimes you're just like, look, I, I know what I what needs to happen. I know how fast it needs to go. And I can also work with, you know, this actor, actress, whatever. So a lot of the times that stuff, uh, I feel like I can kind of get what I need that much quicker versus, you know, uh, having to stop and defer every time to a director. But um, also, you know, there is, I don't know, I guess it depends on what you're aiming for, like creatively for that project, because there's you know, times like uh, like the commercial with John Paul that it, I don't know if I had ever really had a chance to like do my thing as a DP, like do what I really in my head was trying to build out. Right. Because there's, you know, if you're DP and, and directing, sometimes you just got to make the day. It's, you know, you can't like push, push past uh, 12 hours and all kinds of craziness. So I enjoy certain parts of directing and enjoy certain parts of DPing. DPing is a you know, it's nice because it's it is where I guess the artistic side and the technical side kind of intersect, and I do feel like uh, 
I guess it carries just uh, a lot of weight, right? Because you're speaking with this visual language that already exists. Um, you know, a dimly lit living room is going to say something very different um, than a super, you know, high key, brightly lit living room, you know, with a woman wiping, you know, the counters with a smile <laughs> on her face. Right. Right. So it's, it, you know, that that's fun. Like just being able to be like at a glance, I'm building this and you instantly know, you know, what it's going to be about. Um, yeah. yeah. And then the directing, you know, if I'm directing, I will probably just go from the beginning and almost, you know, to the, to the base edit or at least that first edit. Um, you know, I get that, I guess, granular with it just cause by that point it's like lived in my head for a while. Sometimes it makes sense to be the director and DP. Sometimes it's just, you know, I guess a budgetary constraint where you're like, oh, where do I find a DP or a director around here? Yeah. Um, you know, in a town small like Lafayette, it's like I'm not flying anyone in. We can't necessarily do that. So you basically grow into the positions that you have to. And as, you know, as rewarding as those projects are, when you feel like it all, you know, went off without a hitch, um, there's definitely a stress factor that comes with that where you're like, well, did I enjoy it though? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, do I feel like I, like I, uh, I hit everything out of the park because, you just look back and you're like, I'd have done this and this and this different. If you're trying to do, you know, wear too many hats, it's like you're going to regret a lot of stuff just because that stress factor gets crazy. The music video you directed, uh, Sardinian Wine for Lily Brave. I really love that music video and the way it looks, it feels, it seems like it exactly fits the song. It's kind of like spooky, haunting, but also at the same time, uh, a beautiful piece. Um, can you explain the process for that? Because you were both the director and the DP for that music video. Uh, guide us through that process of making that. How did you get the gig in the first place? Uh, was it a, a friend or? Well, actually, so, yeah, the agency I worked at, um, the chief creative officer, I think was his title at the time. <laughs> they changed titles a lot. Um, <laughs> Well, anyway, he's, you know, he was in this band, Lily Brave, and I'd actually played like, you know, a handful of shows with him as a, like a rhythm guitarist. So, you know, we were close friends and he was like, look, I have this song, like handful of songs that I'm going to be releasing, listen to them and, you know, we'll kind of see which one, you know, we want to do a video for. And I was pretty, you know, instantaneous where I was like, well, I mean, how is it not this one? Yeah, uh, just because it kind of, uh, I guess the imagery just kind of started popping up. I don't know. I'm trying to think of where it came from. So okay, so it was it was shot in 2018, but we're just officially releasing it just because kind of change ups with the band and um, just post and basically finishing. A lot of it was done with you know kind of uh, I guess favors. So it you know it kind of sits there and then yeah. A pandemic does not help <laughs> for sure so there's not much it has helped right um the face mask industry is celebrating that right now uh, that and the true. hand sanitizing industry <laughs> um i'll kind of like search through different paintings or like photography or art just you know kind of like everyone they'll just sit on their phone and just go through stuff on like flipbook or pinterest and um 
Yeah, I don't remember where the you know the ghostly image of the girl came through, but it, there definitely was like the somber tone, you know, in the song where you know there was the spooky vibe with the organs and kind of that motif that kind of carries throughout. But um, you know, there was this sweetness to it, and so yeah, we kind of I was like, well, what about you know if it's this guy who's still alive? Uh, I guess in you know our world, the living world, whatever. And um, this girl who's the veil, you know, obviously representing death or passing, she's, they're both near each other, but they can't really ever, I guess, interact anymore. Uh, You know, kind of a typical ghost story, but just kind of with a, just with a twist. And, you know, we only had two locations in like two days. So it was like, kind of had to, you know, a lot to get down, but I mean, everyone who like worked on it busted their butts and you know I'm pretty proud like when we watched the final edit um, after we sent it to a colorist guy named Sam Howells who uh, graciously donated his time coloring it we were we were pretty floored and I'm very critical self-critical especially of like my own work that I direct and DP Um, but yeah I definitely felt like we had you know something special which is cool because you know uh, a creative project something I guess like something like this he Giorgio the uh, singer was saying he just did not want him just you know performing in some sort of like bar where we just light him you know yeah with a bunch of spotlights and I was like well alright well, let's try to like really try to you know get something crazy out of it so yeah there's always kind of a dark um, I, I guess a certain darkness with a lot of the stuff that all come up, even in terms of like short films, really anything. But um, I, I wouldn't necessarily say that I'm into that because I'm naturally, I guess, kind of a funnier person. But I do think it takes a catches a lot of people off guard. They're like, "Wow, this is like a video about a you know couple that gets in a crash." And uh, <laughs> like my mom when she saw it was like, "Did she die?" I was like, "Well." It's a music video, so first off, no, no one really <laughs> obviously dies, but she's like, well, why would you put that in there? And it's like, I don't know. You gotta have, you know, you gotta have the sour for the sweet some, you know, sometimes. So that's another thing, man. Like, it was, it's, I don't know, just being like an artist or being someone who's creative, it's like, as a human to me, it's like always difficult to look at, you know, yourself and the things that you think and you do and the way you you know act yeah um much less to be like hey you could make up anything and you chose to make up you know a music video where someone dies or <laughs> this and it's like i don't know i don't know where it comes from but like if uh that's kind of the beauty of film is like i don't know if i want to see you know a car full of you know kittens explode then i'm gonna put a car full of kittens exploding <laughs> and um and there's definitely, you know, I guess optimism to me. It's always hidden in there, um, you know. But it's just, I guess, different things. How there's no way you can ever predict how, I guess, the perspective that people are coming to your work from. You know what I mean? Or really anything. Yeah. And um, you know, it's everything's gonna mean something different to everyone. So it's best definitely not to second guess yourself. Right. I think uh, you said there's always hope in it, especially in that that music video. It's like um, the love interest definitely uh, 
Oh gosh, that sounds cruel. She definitely died. <laughs> For some reason, that doesn't have a nice ring to it. Yeah, uh, the love she interest. She did. You and my mom must have talked. <laughs> She's definitely dead. So the love interest dies, but at the same time, even though there is sadness, there is hope because they're still close in their own way. And I think that was really cool. And I think that was well represented. One thing I've also noticed about your work is that um, a lot of people's work kind of uh, maybe has a similar look throughout. Like it's a, like they have a definite style. And I believe that you do have a definite style and you can see it. But uh, as you, like as I was looking through the videos that you have on your website, like I guess what I'm trying to say is you know how to adapt your lighting and direction depending on what you're doing to the type of ad or film that it is and i think that is a great thing like i listen to the wandering dp a lot and he kind of has a set method and a lot of his commercials while they look great they look the same when you're able to have that variety like do you approach each project completely different or do you have like a, a set of rules that you won't break on a on any of your commercials or films or whatever how many listeners? How many listeners do you have to your podcast right now? Let's say like thousands, That's, hundreds of yeah, thousands. Yeah, let's say hundreds of thousands. <laughs> um, I don't know. To me, one of the most valuable. It's it's tricky because you do want to have like I guess your own style, your own voice, and you know, I think there I think there's definitely a way to scratch your creative itch and you know that technical place that you're trying to get to on a commercial but still satisfy the look i mean at the end of the day sometimes you're selling a product yeah right and it's like yeah if it's if it makes sense to do this docu style you know piece for uh, clorox actually they have like this it's probably a couple years old now but it's these really beautiful kind of docu style like if you if someone told you this was a clorox commercial you'd be like well okay this is you're out of your mind this looks you know just very cinematic yeah but sometimes you know like it if the client was like no we need you know something that's really showcasing the product and it's got to have like you know a pack shot at the end of the whatever you're selling soda or something it's like that's fine i think it's way more valuable to be able to do a high key fashion shoot or you know uh, shooting a toothpaste commercial it's like i i want to i guess as a dp be able to know that i can you know, manipulate any lighting to match what we all agreed on. Yeah. And as I would definitely never want to, um, I don't know when I'm working with a direct, it's like, look, I, I can only make this as close to, you know, to what you want. If you're telling me, if you're sharing this with me, that's why I like someone with a, a clear, a super clear vision. It's like, that's amazing. That's, that's the guys who you want to work with where it's like, no, I totally can see this in my head as you're describing it or as you're showing me, you know, the mood board where, you know, if, if you're having to kind of fill in a lot of blanks yourself, just a, kind of that chance that, you know, something might not, uh, it might not jibe with the, either the client or I guess the agency or kind of whoever. Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I don't know, I like that. I'll definitely try to bring as much style as I can. I guess the only rule, like you said before, I kind of say this in like a lot of meetings we used to have at the agency, the sliding scale is not quality. The sliding scale is quantity. 
Um, hmm. And I think I'd use the analogy like, look, you're not, you know, you're still going to get ice cream. You're just not going to get three scoops. You're going to get one scoop, but it's still going to be really good ice cream. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's like, cause that seems to kind of always kind of be how it goes. Like you, they, uh, they want to do, well, we don't need, you know, a grip. And it's like, yeah, we do need a grip, but you don't need these two shots or these two setups. So hmm. uh, kind of shoving that around. I'd say that's probably the one rule where it's like, look, if we're going to do this, it's hard enough for anything to get made, right? Yeah. It's like for it to be good, it's like all right, that's uh that's the one rule, I guess. Uh we do a we do a blood oath before every shoot. Everyone puts their hand in. <laughs> and we all we all pledge that it's going to be the best lawyer commercial. No. <laughs> um, they worked for the Hafas or Hafas law or Deval. Ha- yeah, I think it's Hafas Deval. Hafas. I probably butchered it. Hafas. That yeah. sounds right. Hafas default. Well, it seemed to right, work. That's, the blood earth. Yeah, right. Uh, that's definitely like, man, super proud of that. And, and probably, I'd probably say, you know, if anyone was like, look, you're going to be shooting um, a milk commercial tomorrow, I'd be like, all right, well, how do we bend this to, you know, to be cinematic? Because everyone got into this to make movies, right? right. So it's like, I have, still have to make this mini movie and have to somehow work in that we're selling you know, a carton of milk, but, um, I don't know. We're kind of in like a really interesting time with, you know, commercials. It's like, I mean, you remember the insanity of uh, some of the commercials back in like the nineties where it was like a Capri Sun commercial or something. And you're like, (laughs) this looks insane. Like it's kids. You know what I mean? You're like, all right. Surfers and fly through. Yeah. You're like, all right, now he's mercury for some reason. (laughs) And now it's like, well, no, it's like it can look like a movie, and you're like, okay, this is awesome, this is like yeah. amazing. So, so there you go. So I can expect some anamorphic milk commercials, and you're real pretty soon. Oh, dude, we should do that as a passion project. Uh, hey, milk industry, here you go. <laughs> I'll even do almond milk, <laughs> like Ooh. just any type of soy milk. <laughs> soy farmers out there. I guess going back to the like styles, yeah, I, I, I'm interested in just kind of knowing that I can get where I would want to get and not, uh, I definitely like for people to work with me cause I, they know that I can do the work and that it'll be good. Um, you know, and if in a year or so or however long, if my, you know, body of work is more reflective of a certain style where it's dark and moody and it's like, all right, that must be where I, my brain kind of heads towards. But, you know, as for now, I'm just kind of really trying to, trying to see what's out there and trying to see what we can, what we can do. For sure. Um, so one of the posts I saw on your Instagram is that you were for 2020, you were making the push and you're going freelance full-time little did we know 2020 would be an interesting year to make that jump can you describe going from agency to making the decision to do freelance and well i cut out the end that was the the question no 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 leave the and in travis (laughs) said and so there were some changes in management and uh, i probably should have like started looking for the you know the door a little quicker maybe a year or so before I did but uh, I don't know it's like I have two daughters and you know you got a mortgage to pay you've got bills and 
Yeah, it's very easy to be like, well, if I don't do anything, I can still, you know, go fishing and we can still live this life. And, uh, you know, I'll only have to cry in my car a couple of times a week before. No, I didn't cry. (laughs) But, you know, there were some days where you, you know, I'd pull up and I was like, man, I really don't feel like uh, going into work and, you know, trying to force myself to do this. And that was like very apparent um, to my wife she'd be like, are you okay? Like, it seems like you're just on another planet. Mm. And, uh, I was just like, I don't know, man, it's, I really want to kind of start doing my own thing. Cause by the, you know, by that point I was producing a lot of this stuff, writing the scripts, directing and DPing it. And sometimes even editing it and then handing it over to like, you know, the people who would be finishing it and coloring it and adding the animations or whatever we were doing. So I was, there was just like a, a huge, I guess, stress factor. And then you'd go home, right, at five, six o'clock, and you're just, you're also not fulfilled because you're like, look, I didn't do anything creative. I don't feel like I'm really trying. I guess that's, I'd probably say the most accurate feeling. I was, I felt like I was on the sidelines and watching, you know, a lot of friends. John Paul, honestly, like, I think he would sometimes, like, we'd joke about, he'd be like, man, I, I'm super jealous of your steady income. And I was like, Oh boy, the price, the price you'd pay for this income, dude. (laughs) I was like, I'm jealous that you're getting to do all these cool things. And so he would kind of joke about, you know, when are you going to just jump out of the plane and try to land? And I was like, I don't know. So I guess basically what the, all that leads to is there were some shifts in management, shifts in their direction, the company. And it, I was like, all right, this is, I don't think I belong here anymore. And this is very obvious and so we just had a meeting and I kind of went in with my mind made up and I was like I don't think I'm the right fit for you guys anymore um Hmm. and yeah they kind of you know the boss the other day we we went this film grant for this short film that we're going to be producing and my old boss messaged me this very nice text and I was it was kind of cool. You know what I mean? Like he, I think he knew that I was going to land on my feet and survive, but you know, I certainly didn't. And it definitely feels like I'm in a better place and I hope they are as well. So one thing that has been a constant in every interview I've done is that there is a point, uh, it's always different, but a point where someone just has to make the jump and it's always kind of extreme, but it, it almost seems like that's a requirement. If you're going to go full-time freelance, like there's no in-between. <laughs> that's what that's what I'm learning. These people that are, are doing it, making it work, they have to make the jump. And maybe it's because I'm interviewing people who are doing great work. But so far, the people I've interviewed have not failed at it. They're continuing to do it and they continue to do good stuff. So at least that's I'm just noting that down. At some point, if you want to, uh, I don't know, get things done, do great things, you've got to go for it. Um, whatever the circumstances. For sure. Basically, when when you jump and, you, you know, definitely you, you start having to look for, well, what's someone else doing? What's he doing? What, what are they doing that I'm not doing? Right? You have to start looking like I revamped my website once I quit. I re-edited my reel once I quit. And that all led to other better things. I started paying, you know, a little more attention, trying to push on social media, which I'm really bad at. Um, but like I've worked with more new people in the past, it's not even a year 
and I've done better, my better, my best work in the past, you know, probably five years within a matter, not even a year, like within a matter of months. Wow. Um, and that's all because, you know, like you have to have kind of a fire under your. Yeah. It's like, uh, it basically accelerates that. And I think, you know, if the podcast being about hometown, you know, smaller, smaller, I guess, markets, Lafayette is very, it's very chill, right? Everything is slow and everything can kind of just wait, just, you know, a little, a few more weeks for this project to happen, a few more months. And it's like, uh, I don't think that that, that doesn't bode well for, I guess, cinematographers or directors or it, it, you know, it's it's these little worlds that you create that everything happens so fast. Yeah. And if you're on set and you're, you know, if you're going to shoot these projects ten ten times a month, well, then you're going to be learning that much quicker what you like, what you can do, what this light does, what you know, what crew you should have had, versus you know having to ten projects a year where you're like, all right, I guess I got to try to do as much of my homework as I can. I'm hmm. You know what I mean? It's yeah. I guess it's a it's kind of a different a different animal, and it's like you do you really do have to just kind of hold your own feet to the fire, and yeah, I don't know if that's I guess if to me if you're in to filmmaking at all, you're kind of have to be a self starter, right? Yeah. Or you'd have to be insane to get in. I guess <laughs> to try to get into it. Um, one of the two, or you're just very fortunate. And your dad's like Ivan Reitman or something, and you get into it that way. Which Jason Reitman, he's still very talented. So, if you're listening to this, Jason, call me. Um, I don't know what for. I'll make sure um, he does. But does that make sense? Where like you know that that pressure cooker is like if there's no pressure, there's no incentive to go out there and make things happen. Right. Uh, right. Exactly. And I love pressure um, cooker. I like so, yeah, that you analogy. basically. Yeah. Diamonds, baby. <laughs> or are we talking about pre- pressure cooker for chicken? I don't know. <laughs> I still don't know what a pressure cooker is. So uh, chicken. You put diamonds. your jewelry in it, right? Diamond studded chicken. Uh, oh, I like it all. Now we're talking. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't know if I ever really answered your question about the pandemic, but yeah, I guess that did kind of answer it with, um, you know, 2020, as weird as it's been, like, I definitely am uh, in a better place. And, you know, and that even trickles down to, like, your family life and everything. And um, so, yeah, if you're, I don't know, if you're looking to make that jump, <laughs> there is this, like, guy named um craig oh man he owns a rental company and we're friends on facebook but anyway i posted in one of these forums like look uh i really am you know questioning a lot of decisions in this agency staying here whatever and he literally was like quit tomorrow save your soul (laughs) that was his post and i was like this guy's like this guy's bad. Like I'm not quitting tomorrow. And then like a month later, I was like, I am quitting tomorrow. And I was like, man, okay, it really is that easy. But like, uh, just be you know, be real with yourself. Be honest with yourself. That like, look, um, I have a skill set. It might not be where I want to you know get it. But as long as you know that you can make good stuff, stuff that people want, um. And you can make a living at it or something close to a living. I, I don't know. It's uh, like from where I'm sitting now, you know, it feels it feels pretty good. So, 
Yeah, agency life, not all is cracked up to be end of podcast right end there. End of podcast. Nah, I'm just kidding. Agency is good. Honestly, I learned a lot of stuff in terms of like producing and uh, yeah, there's probably a bunch of pieces that I have, uh, you know, on my reel that wouldn't have happened had I not been there. So I can't, I can't uh, bash agencies too much, but it's time to, sometimes, you know, you got to know when to, know when to grow and know when to leave and know when to hold them, you know? <laughs> it's a Kenny Rogers joke. I don't know. I Kenny knew Rogers kids. Do you millennials know Kenny Rogers? Um, I've heard of him. He knew. He knew when to hold him. I know that making a film takes a lot of talented people. If you want it to turn out great, um, do you have a approach to networking uh, and meeting other filmmakers and? colorists, directors, whatever they may be. Do you have a method of doing that or is it they know your work, they reach out to you and you're just a boss? <laughs> um, <laughs> man, it's kind of... I definitely wish I were more like uh, of a social butterfly. I think I'm like, you know, like to be loud and make jokes, but it's like got to be with my little cluster of friends uh but i you know my wife is kind of like i don't know she's like you can kind of start any conversation with anyone don't you notice that and i'm like yeah but that's after like three hours of me avoiding everyone else <laughs> so i probably need to like get you know because it feels weird right if you're like you have to like id who's a producer or a director and then like i found it i found it more beneficial to me if I know that I'm not going over to just have this lead to something like to genuinely be interested, even if it's just like, Hey man, I like that pin that's on your jacket. Like I would rather that be a segue into like a conversation that might, you know, end up about peanut butter. I think that that's more valuable. Um, if you have the body of work there, like they're going to remember, that you know you're not a, a complete idiot and that you 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 know you can do the work and that you were a genuine person i'd say that's probably like what i struggle with a lot of the times at uh we went to like this conference and i was just you know you're kind of mortified and you kind of just look for other people who are nervous too and huh. you know yeah that's it's kind of weird because you're like well who's the uh, who are the a type personalities and it's like well i know who's not <laughs> That's me trying to look at all those people talking to each so, other, huh? Yeah, <laughs> weirdos. Let's stand over here in this dark corner and sip on this cup of water for another two hours. Um, no, but I think like once I kind of, uh, you know, once you know that you can actually just talk to someone, uh, and I mean conferences, any place that you're going to end up where there's a bunch of people, it's all people that are interested in movies even if they're just patrons who are coming to like a film festival um you know there's still i don't know i i would rather put that out into the universe like you know an artist who's just genuinely interested in people uh versus like well this guy who's really looking to kind of like pap pap make some uh make some moves and some cash like i don't know if that's that's me and uh, that's why i think it's you know if if you have a, a good body of work 
which I mean, I'm, you know, I'm still, you know, aiming at that point on the horizon. If, uh, if they see that you can, that you can do it and you make a good impression, like for you to be friends on Instagram, I mean on Facebook and follow them on Instagram, you know, that feels more organic. Cause then, you know, I might comment like, Oh, looking good or wow, that shot was crazy or whatever. Um, and so I at least find for myself, I don't, you know, I can't really schmooze, yeah. but I can talk to you about peanut butter, like I said before. <laughs> Unless they have a peanut allergy, then those conversations <laughs> really, really go south fast. Well, um... <laughs> peanut farmers of America, call me. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, EpiPen, too. Epi, EpiPen, call me, too. Let's work. <laughs> See this that's a, awesome. that's that's a shoehorned, you know, segue. That's not good. That's that's not organic. <laughs> I mean, the peanut butter could be organic. That's true. That's true. Now we're talking semantics. <laughs> that's that, an organic. Yeah, I needed an organic peanut, you know, segue. I'm like, uh, it's got to be organic. Yeah. <laughs> what about no pesticides? Now people are like, what are they talking about? What is this podcast about? <laughs> organic food. <laughs> So, um, a lot of my work, at least on my YouTube channel, the stuff that I should take down but I haven't, is a lot of stuff that I enjoy uh, and no one else probably will ever understand. But I think it's funny that people don't understand it. So, um, that whole peanut butter part was like, that's why I live. That's, uh, that's what I live for. So, and it, it also, if you land an organic peanut butter ad, um, I accept five percent royalties. Um, so Dude, just, if if that happens, if, believe me, you're getting that five percent in <laughs> peanut butter. It's like two hundred jars of organic peanut butter. Well, you never specify. <laughs> no, that'd well, be that'd be rad. Things are just happening, and uh, I'm, I'm, I like where this is going. You had talked about the grant that you got. Could you go into more detail about what that entails and the process of receiving the grant, what it's going to look like, and what we can expect to see because of it? Yeah, so uh, the state every year, um, they team up with a bunch of different, I guess, sponsors for this uh, film grant called Create Louisiana. TV Saint Mall, um, they're kind of you know the French-speaking network they have like an international presence they're you know kind of the big um the big sponsors and i guess the company that pushes this grant but basically south louisiana you know they kind of view they view this as like the i don't want to say the paris of the south but basically the intersection of a lot of french speaking languages like francophone culture um mm. that's like french speaking culture uh and so they you know they feel like a they have an interest in I guess displaying that and kind of celebrating celebrating that and I had you know friends who have won it in previous years and working at an agency I was like well man we're never gonna have time to like write a script well yeah freelance you know time happens and then a pandemic happens so (laughs) I was like look I'm gonna either lose my mind you know and start like uh you know competitive lego building or like i can do something i can do something useful uh and so i you know got together with a friend and we actually had a mutual co-worker that 
um, you know, we were, st- I'm still very good friends with him. Uh, he's Haitian and his family moved to Louisiana because they spoke French and it was warm. And that always kind of, I was like, what a wild, like, you know, seven kids moved here. And I was, that always like, I was like, that's so crazy that, you know, that you and I are having this conversation, you know, Jean is his name, um, because the climate, you know, was agreeable enough for people coming from a tropical you know, climate and we spoke French. Yeah. So now we're friends and <laughs> it was kind of, you know, he would tell me about the struggles. Uh, actually we were, you know, eating lunch today and he was saying, you know, he, they still, he still hears people. They're still out there. I guess people that'll say like, well, why don't you go back, you know, to your own country, which it's like, well, it's 2020 and that's obviously insane. But, yeah. um, as far as the grant, you know, went, we, I was like, look, this is what I think. This is my Louisiana francophone experience. Right. I was like, and this is a real thing. So that was like, Jean's story was a very big influence, uh, and the story that we wanted to tell. And it was kind of a story that existed in my head for a couple of years. Honestly, I'm sure if you're a writer or anything like there's, 200 things in your brain at all times but this was one that kind of kept bubbling to the top and we decided to just kind of I guess go down that road of telling uh, the character uh, his name is Renee kind of telling Renee's story Renee's you know story about landing in you know the US and trying to assimilate and you know maintaining his culture you know the struggle of I guess of that um, when you you know when you're entering a country that there are parts of it that, you know, celebrate the differences, but there are also huge, you know, I guess sets of people that are like, look, we want you to come here. We want you to sound like us, look like us. And that's, you know, especially kind of living in the South, um, you know, that's, that's a real thing. And that kind of, I guess is uh, why we ended up going with that instead of a more traditional, we were actually kind of nervous. I was like, this is not a terribly traditional Cajun story. Yeah. But that ended up being kind of what, you know, when we did our pitch um, through a Zoom meeting, which I'm actually forever grateful for that being how we had to do it and not like in front of a boardroom of people. (laughs) Um, You know, that resonated that resonated the most. Right. Because I like I said before, that's that's my that's my like Louisiana French speaking experience. The fact that I have this guy who's from a completely different world that I'm not, you know, I don't understand. He's here and we're having, you know, dinner with my family. Yeah. I was like, this is, this is what I want to celebrate as much as I love everything else about Cajun culture. Um, you know, and actually in the story, uh, that kind of all, I guess, circles back how Cajuns were outcasts and brought here and, you know, speaking French was eventually, it wasn't outlawed, but they were like, we're not going to allow it in public schools um, public offices, you know, courthouses and stuff like that. And so, yeah, that kind of, that circles back and I don't know, it's, it's definitely a story that we're like super excited, I guess, to share. Yeah. That's a unique story. Yeah. I definitely, we were, we were scared, but, uh, they're like, no, this is, you know, something different, a different angle. So I was like, it's cool to have someone, I guess, see what you're, I guess, believe in the idea that you're presenting. Cause we definitely didn't did not think it was going to happen. I was like, they might just want you know some people in a pirogue on the swamp, and I was like, eh, 
I don't know. Not this year. I love hearing about the idea. Um, our last uh, last guest we had was Thomas Manning from Arizona, and he had a very strong opinion. Like, why do we keep making the same movie over and over again? It's like I've I've watched so many movies and they're completely unoriginal, and I think he would be very happy with this story because that's I mean I I'm in the South as well, but I have never heard of a story quite like that. Of one, I think just Louisiana as a state having the French culture and uh, French language is such an interesting is interesting all by itself, and meeting people that grew up as French as their first language in uh, the U.S. I think that's... That's that's it's wild, that's, right? That's wild. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. I think this is a very unique take, and I think it's going to be um, something I look forward to watch. Is it going to be a feature or a short? A short feature? No, so the grant... Yeah, it's yeah. I, I, I wish we could get up to like the what's like a, considered a feature, like 45 minutes. Yeah. Uh, I wish we could inflate it to that, but it's probably going to be just about 15 minutes. Okay. Um, just because kind of once, you know, like uh, the actors, you know, coming from Florida, he's actually, a, you know, a Haitian immigrant. And uh, we're like super excited to like find him. And um, oddly enough, <laughs> the Cajun, you know, the old Cajun woman, Odile, she was hardest to cast, and I was like, "Are you for real? How, how can I not have my pick of the litter uh, with old, older Cajun women?" But um, yeah, it's kind of kind of how that went. But um, do you have a expected film date? I think we kind of have to have a final cut for review early December. Okay. Um, but we're gonna be filming kind of end of October, so. Maybe around Christmas time, we'd have like kind of a final, a final cut, which would be, that'd be, you know, amazing. Just the idea of something coming out around film festival time. But, um, yeah, For I'd sure. probably say December. We should have something to see. And unless it's bad, then you guys are never going to see it. <laughs> You've heard it here first. <laughs> no, okay, I, I look no, forward I, to honestly, seeing like it or not seeing it. Everyone that is on board with it is like all, you know, it's all good people and so yeah they definitely you know they keep you pushing and they kind of keep corralling everything that needs to happen uh the producer her name is allison bowl dehart and she's like another local filmmaker i think i met um, her side down i could that's not something the whole podcast needs to know i I went to uh no 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 where did you meet allison (laughs) now we need to know it was that no have you been to louisiana southern screen i went to one of jp's little conferences where he talked about interviewing or doing like documentary oh, like lighting. the doc yeah the doc natural light kind of yes yeah yeah yeah. allison is a she is probably one of like the strongest filmmakers in like lafayette i definitely like say hands down and she knows like oh really every as every aspect of it like she knows and would know how to get there and if she wouldn't she's like well this would be who would get you there huh. and uh yeah the fact that she like jumped on board i uh, kind of almost was like er, do you know what this is gonna be <laughs> <laughs> i'm directing this dumb dumb me you're sure you're okay with that um this is not a peanut butter ad you know but she, yeah this isn't a classic peanut butter commercial like you're used to okay this is a short film mama um 
but yeah, she was like, she's definitely been kind of keeping the steam in the engine because, you know, you still have to work in between doing stuff for the short film and she's, you know, she's never, uh, there's a, just an email away like, hey, checking in or update on this. And I'm like, oh yeah, we got to shoot that short. <laughs> That's a fun phrase. <laughs> No, I'm I'm actually excited. We we we've locked in all our talent and like locked in, you know, most of the locations and so now it's like, okay, now you get to kind of see what it's going to be and you're kind of closer cuz you know, when it's all in your head and um you've already signed a contract that you're going to shoot this short film with, you know, an international company, it's like, oof, uh, there's a little bit of pressure there, but, you know, like I said, the pressure cooker analogy, dude. Exactly. We want them chickens to turn into diamonds, right? <laughs> That's how it works. Exactly. I don't know things. <laughs> I don't even know if I asked you, in this film, you you wrote it, and you are directing and DPing, or are you divvying that out? Uh, so, a friend of mine, Trevor... Navarre, we wrote it together. Okay. Uh, and I am DPing and directing. Okay. You were going going for it. Yeah, dude. I'm gonna I'm gonna either make it happen or fail real hard. But, <laughs> um yeah, actually so the grant basically because of COVID, uh they had to like lop off, you know, a decent chunk, which I was still leaning towards directing and DPing but I did, you know, I would have liked the flexibility where if I was like, hey, I'm bringing in someone else yeah, uh, to DP this, it would have made sense financially. But yeah, that kind of, which I completely understand. And honestly, it's, we're still just excited to be even be able to make anything. Yeah. But yeah, man, I, I'm, I'm feeling good about it. I got, like I said, uh, good people surrounding me and it's all people, you know, it's all friends and people that have, we've worked, you know, I'm going to be working with some people tomorrow that are going to be on it just on different jobs. So everyone kind of, you know, has a shorthand or understands what you're talking about. So I ain't even sweating it. JP actually, he's going to be cam hopping it. So Ah, well, you're in good hands. I don't want to have to hold a camera (laughs) unless I want to hold a camera. Um, Well, you'll have a good relationship. He might let you hold it. Uh, Yeah. Can I, (laughs) sir? (laughs) But yeah, man, the I'm super excited just to kind of see what comes out the other end, kind of what I, I guess what we can take away from it, what we can learn. Yeah. Well, I'm excited to see it. Um, I'll find a way to see it, even if you don't want me to. Uh, so if... Uh, <clears throat> we changed the name of it to Inception. Like, I'm like, hang on, that's already a movie. <laughs> I'm like, nope, that's it. It's Inception. Uh, I don't even know why I would have gone with Inception. There's a lot of other movies I'd rather steal, but... Inception came to mind. That that came to mind when you said it. Uh, <laughs> stupid. Uh, so people dude, are going to want a podcast within a podcast, dude. <laughs> the Inception podcast. Sorry. Oh. See, dude, just being like stupid. Like you could probably do a separate podcast with just like the dumb jokes. <laughs> yeah. I would enjoy that podcast. I would listen. <laughs> uh, so um, I know people are going to want to follow you. Uh, where would you say is the best place they could follow your work and get ready for this film, which has not been named? Oh, 17. Yeah, I have not named named it yet. 17 Year Locust is the name of the short film. Okay. 
Um, so there's we, there's a page, 17 Year Locust Film. If you look on Facebook, follow that. That would be great. We're going to be putting stuff that we, I guess, updates or stills from once we begin production, all that kinds of stuff. Um, Instagram, Facebook, kind of the the classics, and uh, um, got a website which you for some reason have to have, but it's really just like a virtual gallery of your work. <laughs> But uh, yeah, lmleblanc.com or on Instagram, Logan LeBlanc DP. I will have links yeah. upon links. I appreciate you being on the, the show. I enjoyed it thoroughly and my cheeks hurt and I felt like I got an ab workout. So, well, thank you for chatting with me and I look forward to seeing your work in the future. You're going to do awesome things. I appreciate that, man. Thank you so much. Continue to do awesome things. Yeah, continue. And that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope this helps you do great work, be the artist you want to be, and helps you to not be afraid to jump in with both feet and make things happen in your film community. If you enjoyed the podcast, please do not subscribe. Whatever you do, do not leave a positive review on iTunes. That would only allow more people to find the show and be inspired by these filmmaker stories. So stay tuned for our next awesome guest on the Hometown Hollywood Podcast. If I know that a camera is on, I mean, it's like, A, I'm not photogenic, but once the camera <laughs> is like, you know, I know it's in my orbit and I could end up, you know, you want to be like serious and like, uh, I probably just should start doing stupid stuff like, because then it's like, oh, that's a fun guy to have on set. Not like that guy looks constipated or he looks like he's straining to hold that camera and the faces I'll have to, I'll just work on those. <laughs> oh look at that delayed laugh that better have been like the internet buffering <laughs> not a not a pity laugh <laughs>